October of 1999, Pope John Paul II named three women co-patronesses of Europe, Saints Bridget of Sweden, Catherine of Siena, and Edith Stein, known also as Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. To quote him at length, he had this to say of Stein, what we see in her is the anguish of the search and the struggle of an existential pilgrimage. Even after she found the truth and the peace of the contemplative life, she was to live to the full the mystery of the cross. Edith was born in 1891 to a Jewish family of Breslau, which was then in German territory. Her interest in philosophy and her abandonment of the religious practice which she had been taught by her mother might have presaged not a journey of holiness, but a life lived by the principles of pure rationalism. Yet it was precisely along the byways of philosophical investigation that grace awaited her. Having chosen to undertake the study of phenomenology, she became sensitive to an objective reality which, far from ultimately dissolving in the subject, both precedes the subject and becomes the measure of subjective knowledge, and thus needs to be examined with rigorous objectivity. This reality must be heeded and grasped, above all, in the human being, by virtue of that capacity for empathy, a word dear to her, which enables one in some way to appropriate the lived experience of the other. It was with this listening attitude that she came face to face, on the one hand, with the testimony of Christian spiritual experience given by Teresa of Avila and the other great mystics of whom she became a disciple and an imitator, and, on the other hand, with the ancient tradition of Christian thought as consolidated into a mystic philosophy. This path brought her first to baptism and then to the choice of a contemplative life in the Carmelite order. All this came about in the context of a rather turbulent personal journey, marked not only by inner searching, but also by commitment to study and teaching, in which she engaged with admirable dedication. Particularly significant for her time was her struggle to promote the social status of women, and especially profound are the pages in which she explores the values of womanhood and woman's mission from the human and religious standpoint. That's John Paul II. I'm Matt Chaminsky. This is the Curious Catholic Podcast. In this episode, which is the first Happy Birthday Podcast, We'll be taking a look at Edith Stein's essays on women. In the late 1920s and early 1930s, Stein spent considerable time, effort, and care addressing questions concerning the nature and vocation of woman, as well as her education. These efforts address the theoretical and practical, the individual and communal. This period of her life saw her writing and speaking extensively on these topics. In this, Stein drew on her academic training in philosophy and psychology, as well as her long experience as a teacher. These works betray a lively and brilliant intellect, as well as a profound originality and integrity. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Sister Judith Parsons, a member of the Sisters, Servants of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, 
and Associate Professor of Philosophy at Immaculata University. Sister Judith earned her Ph.D. in philosophy from Duquesne University, writing her dissertation on Edith Stein's Ethic of Relationship and Responsibility. All right, so let's jump to the Immaculata University Library, where Sister and I sat down on a cold autumn day with some coffee, set to discuss the life and work of Edith Stein. I first picked up, I was given as a gift, uh, Edith Stein's Life in a Jewish Family, and I began to read it, but quite honestly, I, I was really uh, um, trudging through it. Uh, mm -hmm. And then later in life, when I went to study um, philosophy, I was really intrigued by phenomenology. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I bumped into Edith Stein again, her writings there, and, and then being myself, being a, a religious sister, and then knowing the... Um, the religious life of Edith Stein, her conversion, all of that, her her personal story was very, very riveting to me. Uh, and really, I was drawn in first by that. Um, I thought that, uh, I, I think that Edith Stein was a very, very truthful person. So going back to life in a Jewish family, when I w went back and revisited that, that idea of truth, always coming back to the truth, uh, that that's certainly um, a, a very important part of her life. I think that's a, a characteristic that never left her since mm -hmm. she was young. Um, so it's it's that um, uh, pursuit of truth, and she has that beautiful line. You know, we uh, everyone is 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 looking for truth and and. Truth with a capital T, mm -hmm. right? And everybody searches for God, whether they know it or not, right? right. And uh, I think that was really true in her own life. Uh, she had no time for God. She mm -hmm. uh, there was a time in her life where she thought she would find truth in philosophy or psychology, right. and then uh, that didn't work. And and so she continued to pursue, to wonder, to to ask questions. Um, and so that's, it's her story that, that was so appealing to me first. One of the, my favorite things for Edith Stein is are her letters, mm -hmm. uh, her self-portrait in letters. So I, when I started reading them, that really put um, the flesh on the bones for me of Edith Stein. And so I saw her in a different light. And you talk about phenomenology, right? We all have our own different perspectives, and I think that's a great model for learning that we keep on adding the layers or the different perspectives. Um, and I think uh, through her letters, I think I got a, a different idea of her. Mm -hmm. uh, not just as a scholar, I think she definitely is a scholar, but I think she can be off-putting uh, mm -hmm. as a scholar. And, and, and it's, I think her brilliance really comes through as that woman who is, uh, she, she talks about a woman, the soul of woman, as being always moving toward the, the personal and the mm -hmm. whole and mm -hmm. the living. And I, I think that uh, she really embodies that. Of course, she says that the Blessed Mother is the epitome of all that, right. you know. Uh, and so for me, when we talk about her essays, um, it's, it's that definition of a woman's soul, uh, different than a man's soul, mm -hmm. um, as equal, right? She, she talks about... Uh, and I think she does this beautifully. She talks about men and women uh, with three clarion calls. One, that we're made in the image and likeness of God. Two, that we're to um, bring life to the world. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and not just physically, right? So right. spiritually, uh, through education, and then um, also that we're to be stewards of the earth, to, t- to take care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's in, in that broad context of that threefold call, and then also uh, woman's soul, right? Mm-hmm. Woman as, as moving toward the whole, the living, um, and the personal, um, then I think she gets gets more and more specific, yeah. right? right? So women can do anything that man does, mm-hmm. uh, but she, she does it in a particularly feminine way mm-hmm. in the sense of always toward uh, always toward a sense of whole and, and life and, and caring for the person. She has a, an interesting thought, you know, she says that women can, ha- can have any job, right? Mm-hmm. But then she says, um, in the family, right? And she also says that man and woman, both the, the mother and father can, can work. Mm-hmm. But she, she identifies the woman as responsible for the souls of her of her spouse and also of her children and then she says now this is my interpretation but when it starts to you know the wheel falls off Mm -hmm. then she thinks it's it's the woman's duty to come back Mm -hmm. and maybe sacrifice that uh, other income or or whatever but to to take care to take care of the family and Mm. and and to make sure that everyone is okay right is it, I was struck in you know rereading some of this uh, you know some of her essays uh, again uh, in this volume um, just on the theme that she has and this seems general for human beings as such um, that we're always in this process of becoming mm-hmm. uh, you know from sort of potentiality to mm-hmm. you know flourishing or fullness uh, but that she seems to suggest that woman's soul. Avoids uh, the pitfall that the uh, a, a man's a, a man she says the pitfall is sort of one-sidedness and development of the powers that were given and right. objective uh, tasks she's talking about, but mm-hmm. that um, the feminine soul seems to be more apt at this movement towards a more holistic development, particularly because of her attunement to the life of the emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't mean that in a pejorative sense either, you know, uh, this is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. This uh, richness of emotional life. And then as you were saying, right, she, well, Stein thinks that uh, woman's soul is particularly careful for those entrusted to her for their own development, mm-hmm. her children, or mm-hmm. if not, um, you know, physical, naturally born children, and, you know, talking about spiritual motherhood, which she goes at great length mm-hmm. to expound upon. Um, and I was really struck this this last time around on her likening the feminine spirit to the Holy Spirit hmm. mm. as sort of this vivifying, right. life-giving right. Um, presence in, in the life of others. Um, right. But what really, I guess I'll ask, what really stands out to you um, in her treatment of uh, woman's nature um, as maybe particularly helpful? I love that she says, you know, we we develop, our personalities develop over time and over the circumstances of life, too. Right. You know, and um, I think that that's that's really important. Uh, So it's always this idea of development, I think, that she's she's very very clear on I think that she's she's very patient with it mm-hmm. uh, in her later writings I don't think she was so patient with it for herself in her own life always but I yeah. think she learned that 
It's a beautiful line. Uh, she said she learned from her mother that it was, again, I'm, um, I'm uh, saying this in my own words, but it was more important to be uh, loving than it was to be right. It mm-hmm. was more important to be good than it was to be right. And mm-hmm. She you know, she had that razor sharp uh, intellect yeah. that she could <laughs> she could make ribbons of people. She says that mm-hmm. right uh, uh, in her own words. So uh, I think it's uh, and she also uses the word helpmate. I I see that more in the uh, interpretation as companion, one who shares my table, one who mm-hmm. shares my bread. And I think that she, when she talks about woman taking on any vocation, but in a feminine way, mm-hmm. I th- I think she means it in that sense of support for another person, mm-hmm. um, finding her support first in God. She says that that all of this comes from the love of God, right. and then it, and then it comes forth from her, but only always through through God. And so I see her, uh, you know. And, and the role of woman, um, certainly to develop herself, you know, yeah. uh, in the image and likeness of God, that we go back to that, right. uh, that she's, she's to be a companion, but in no sense uh, denying herself or losing herself in that union. Um, and then always to bring forth life, always to bring forth life, uh, whether physically or spiritually or intellectually, um, it's emotionally... Um, to, to be the person who facilitates that. So Yeah, that's a consistent theme, a kind of a Always. refrain. And I think, you know, in the, the eyewitnesses uh, of people who saw her, you know, uh, in that last um, holding camp before she went to Auschwitz, you know, we have that, I think his name is Julian Markin, and he gives the, the account of her taking care of children, you know, or mm-hmm. trying to, um, you know, comfort the mothers who were, who knew what was going to happen. I, I think that there's, um, I don't think that, that that's to be um, diminished or I, I think that, that that really was her life. I think she came to it, she developed that eventually. Um, there was a time in her life that she wasn't like that, mm-hmm. moving out t- toward other people. Uh, but I, I think she really developed that. I think her, um, we talked about truth. I think that's what she saw in Teresa of Avila too, mm-hmm. you know, another person who was devoted to the truth. But, and here's the, here's the phenomenology, and this is exciting, right? Yeah. Uh, and then we can always get into the idea of relative truth or, or universal truth, sure. right? So, uh, but w- we go to God in our own way, right? We see God in our in through our own perspective, through our own experiences, and all. Yeah. I think it's always against the backdrop of the universal truth, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're always moving in that direction. So I think she's very consistent with that that message. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I was struck by a number of things um, that you said, um, and kind of wanted to, to one of your earlier comments. Uh, I think Stein really is, and this is maybe for me, uh, one of the things that draws me to her most is that she is an example of great integration between the life Mm -hmm. of the mind and her academic work, but also her personal life and her own personal development. And there doesn't seem to be a dissonance. You know, there's not this this impermeable wall between what she was doing uh, at her desk and what she was doing yeah. amongst everyone else and, and as a teacher, per, as a friend, as a confidant. 
But also another thing, just to change gears a little bit, you mentioned her, uh, just a moment ago, she's focusing on woman's development, um, a holistic development over a lifetime um, to be her own person. And that reminded me of the three literary characters that I mentioned earlier in her essay, uh, Spirituality of Christian Woman. Um, she mentions uh, Nora from Ibsen's Dollhouse, um, but her prime example uh, was someone uh, from a, a work of Goethe that um, um, had uh, achieved a great integration and was her own person uh, before God, before the divine, and before others, and wasn't unduly dependent upon any any other person, whether it's a husband or any other, um, the king in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's striking to me that when she was treating these literary characters, she highlighted an over-dependence um, on, say, a husband or the king or, or any, any other individual as, as a way of failing to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so just what you were saying brought those thoughts to my mind. Right, uh, and it reminds me of what she says about the psychophysical person, right, mm-hmm. when she, she sort of breaks down the person. And we talked about uh, this a little earlier. So she says, well, each human person has a, a physical uh, a physical being, and then we have a, a sensate being, and then we have the mental being, and then we have um, this personal core. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying, her her references to these literary figures, uh, and we're not we're not to lose ourselves in another person. It reminds me of her teaching of the personal core, and and, and when she talks about this personal core or ontic core, our being, no one else has access to that other than the person and God, God mm-hmm. Himself. And so uh, she talks about developing in um, in through our life. Um, through our own experiences. So your experiences are different from mine, but we're still on this journey back to God, Mm -hmm. right? So back to heaven. Um, And I I think it's that um, unfolding of the ontic core, you know, that that laying laying, uh, open to God. I mean, God, here I am. And she does this in her prayer, right? Here I am. And then he, there you are, right? And then she just lays everything for the day in front of God. Mm-hmm. Um, this this card, when she talks about her own, God is here in these moments and can give us in a single instant exactly what we need. Then the rest of the day can take its course under the same effort and strain, but in peace. And I, <laughs> and I, I think that's it. You know, uh, God, you know who I am, right? Mm-hmm. These are my gifts. These are my uh, strengths. These are my weaknesses. And yeah. take them all, Lord. And then in today and whatever comes today, uh, just use me as, as a way of bringing forth your truth, your life, um, uh, and ultimately heaven, right? Yeah. Let me... May may this conversation that you and I have, that this conversation that others might hear, may it in some way uh, bring life. Mm-hmm. There's that personal again, yeah. right? The whole, you talked about there's no dissonance, right? There's an integration. Right. It hangs together, right. right? All of this, all of this, may all of these actions reflect God. It's interesting, in the same essay that I keep referencing, toward the end, she's talking about um, single women, and I guess in her Germany of the time, it seemed like 
more and more women weren't getting married because of circumstances in their lives or because they chose consecrated life or religious life as she eventually um, you know, enters uh, that state of, of, of being a Christian. Um, but she talks about, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's a woman who's in the working world, the professional world, and um, in order to make that fruitful and meaningful, you have to be tapped into the divine source, like mm-hmm. you were saying. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like she's writing from her own heart because that was her for a while as a teacher, as a scholar, you know, she's unmarried, but she's not in a religious community. And she talks about that need to constantly go back to the divine source. And it seems like she worked really hard and must have been, you know, uh, so tapped into that prayerful, um, uh, you know, conversation with uh, the divine source of of energy and vitality. Um, So everything you're just saying seems totally right out of uh, her own experience, not just her work, but her experience. And I think a lot of that experience, uh, you're right, there's a lot of hard work, even, uh, and Sarah Borden brings this out in her book, you know, she was really, really busy giving these essays. Mm -hmm. uh, And and she talks in her letters, self-portrait and letters, she talks about her exhaustion, right? Um, But I, I think physically that that was one thing so here we go back to the the psychophysical person right right? I think she's dashed also because she can't get a a position at a university because she's a woman right you know Uh, and so when we talk about circumstances of life Mm. and right our own our own uh, our own capabilities our own abilities and then uh, our own um, human growth, it's going to take a while, right? But then all, also the situations that impinge on all of that development. So right. she can't get a job at the university, right? right? Yeah. Uh, she can't go into Carmel at this time mm-hmm. because it would break her mother's heart. Her spiritual director is saying, well, let's hold off a little more, you right. know. Um, so I, I think you're right. I, I think... I love that word uh, integration. There's an integrity; it, it hangs together, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think she found that she found her solace, her solace in, in God. You know. Yeah, talk about the circumstances of life. You, you've mentioned a, a couple of times life in a Jewish family. The book doesn't get finished because she's taken right, right. <laughs> to I think Auschwitz. yeah, um, I think the Sister Josephine Keppel does a wonderful job in, in her notes in the back. That's. Jeez. If you haven't read that, that's that's really uh, that's some some really good stuff there. Um, you're right; it doesn't get finished. I, so I think in our letters, uh, it's another another aspect of her that comes in there. Um, but then, you know, I always think of her letters really as as one of three movements in her life. So in 1933. She's in Munster, and she's she's creating the curriculum for women. Mm-hmm. You know, another wonderful venture that she's asked to do. Uh, she can't get a university position, uh, but then she loses that job because of her Jewish heritage, right? right? So, mm-hmm. um, and she decides. She says so. So, so there's three things that she does. Uh, she she says, I think that that was God's sign that I could go to Carmel now, mm. right? So she's going back to Breslau to be with her mother, and she she starts, um, maybe it had started already, but she starts to write down the memoirs of her mother. So Life in a Jewish Family really is the memoir of her mother, mm. right? Uh, and then it, it little by little it becomes her memoir, I think. Sister Josephine is the one who um, alerted me to that. That was her mm. thought on that. Um, 
And then she also writes the letter to the Pope and says, look, you have to do something about this, right? So I, yeah. I think, um, you know, there's the unfolding of that onto Kur. In, in truth, right? In truth, Lord, I have to do something. So I'm going to write the letter. I'm going to go home. Uh, she says to the, in the foreword of Life in a Jewish Family, I want this to be one account placed uh, with other accounts, right? I'm not trying to give you the history of the Jewish people here. I'm trying to tell you what it's like to be in a Jewish family so that you see, the reader, mm. sees that it's not unlike, we're not this caricature of whatever. We, we are good people, mm-hmm. and, and I want you to see that. And then her decision, telling her mother, telling her family that she'll go to Carmel. So um, I see them as as three, uh, just three movements, three unfoldings of the Antikor. And that, again, there's her strength, uh, even despite her disappointments. And then also that always going back to that truth with a capital T. Right. right? Always going back. So you're right. So... um, Life in a Jewish family isn't isn't finished, uh, but I guess in a way it doesn't have to go beyond that. She, again, kind of going back to an earlier theme, um, expresses you know with, with great energy the, the, this ideal of spiritual motherhood um, for those in religious life for for a single woman that maybe um, on the path to, to marriage, but maybe as you know, those that will remain unmarried. So for you as a, as a religious sister, um, is there anything in, in Stein's words regarding spiritual motherhood that you find enriching, um, appealing, uh, maybe enlightening? Um, I think, again, I go back to um, her example. I think she herself is, is very uh, enlightening and inspiring. Um, she also directs us to the Blessed Mother. Uh, so I think that Mary is, you know, uh, she always points to Mary, and I, I appreciate that. I think that that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. I think she holds us accountable for that as women, mm-hmm. but not just as religious women, as all women. Yeah. Uh, and, and really all men, you know, and, I, and this week we hearken back to that threefold call, mm-hmm. right, to all of us to be the image and likeness of God in whatever circumstances we are, um, to to bring forth life, you know. Right. So hopefully this conversation brings forth life, mm-hmm. and and then um, also to be stewards, right? To to be caretakers, not just of the of the earth, but of one another. And yeah. so um, I guess I think of it as spiritual motherhood, but I I also think of it in the broader context of what we're all called to be. Uh, it was interesting as we came into this uh, library today. You saw someone you taught in fourth grade, That's and right. so, <laughs> in a way, isn't it the same thing? Yeah. You know, like you're, you're reaching out. Yeah. There's that personal, right? And I yeah. don't think it's just um, it, it, it's just contained within the feminine. I yeah. think I think it's broadened out a little more now, and, and as as uh, good human beings going back toward truth, right? Yeah. No, I think just, you're right. Just yeah. resonating that, uh, yeah. you know, to, to everything, bringing, and I, th- I think too, um, you know, what a wonderful calling, you mm-hmm. know, to to remind one another uh, that we come from God, that we return to God, yeah. uh, and all in our own circumstances, all in our own time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
She has a beautiful line, um, and God has an economy of time, right? Yeah. He has a plan. It yeah. looks unfinished to us. Her letter to Pius the Pius the Eleventh was never answered, right? Mm. Or it was answered with an apostolic <laughs> blessing, right? So in a sense, that failed, right? Mm -hmm, uh, sure. Life in a Jewish family wasn't published until long ever, I think 1950 or something like that. Yeah, I yeah. know it wasn't mm -hmm. wasn't published for a long time. Right. And then her mother is is just crushed right. that she's going to go to Carmel. Right. So uh, they, it just looks like more things that didn't mm -hmm. didn't work out. And yet, right. in God's economy of time, mm -hmm. uh, I think that they do. And that's that's the story I think that yeah. that appeals to me, that pulls me in. Yeah. Well, how rich is her work uh, for those in the present, you and I, and mm -hmm. anyone reading her? And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, her influence is extended. Mm -hmm. Far beyond the confines of her temporal life here yes, on Earth. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, but I also agree with you. An earlier point you were making that um, her thoughts on, on, as she expresses them regarding um, woman's nature, the feminine soul, are applicable beyond. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it is fascinating to to see her um, sort of expound upon her her understanding of that early Genesis text and man and woman as mm -hmm. two. Um, ways that the divine nature and divine goodness is reflected into the world. Mm -hmm. And we're not antagonistic, uh, but complementary. Right, right. And she, she has that beautiful section, too, where she talks about um, the original nature of everything, and everything's right. at peace, right? Mm -hmm. But then, uh, th then after the fall, right, we, we see it, um, we see ourselves at odds with God and with mm -hmm. ourselves and then with one another. Right. And then, I, mean, I think this is a beautiful idea, too. She calls us to be, uh, or she reminds us that we're co-creators with God of this redeemed order, right? right? So, and I think that's really what she's working at, and she encourages us to work at, right? Yeah, I think it's fascinating, right? Is she even, uh, when she's writing about some Pauline texts... Oh, talks about Paul seems to be to be allowing for the fallen order yeah, here. Yeah, and, and she says that, right? I think, yeah. yeah. So I think, okay, <laughs> not the redeemed order. Yeah, right? and, and then she calls us to that redeemed order. Right. We have to work with one another, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, we can't we can't be selfish, and we can't turn to just ourselves. We have yeah. to. Sort of move beyond that uh, impulse towards domination. Yes, yeah. yes. I think she does a nice job of that yeah, too. A certain you know. way of reading scripture. Uh, and that I key is helpful. Yeah. Right, and I think she would broaden it out. It's just that um, uh, you know, at one point she says, "Women is woman um, is more submissive" or anything like that. Again, I. I I challenge that and look at that at 1928, mm -hmm. 1932. Sure. That framework. Right. But I think. Uh, in terms of today, right? We can be domineering in our in our family life, in our business life, and you know, in, in anything. And yes, yeah. in the classroom, right? Exactly. Or, and when we see it, I think then then that's where we're called to be co-redeemers and say, mm. well, you know, let's take a step back here. And, yeah. and so I I need to keep myself in check, but I I can also promote the good, promote that integration that you mm -hmm. talked about, yeah. um, you know, of, of the redeemed order, that, that we are all called in God's image and likeness to, mm -hmm. uh, to be true, just like uh, our Lord. Uh, but what do you see um, as maybe a, a characteristic contribution from Edith 
to the Catholic imagination or the Catholic vision of reality, of the self, the self in relationship with others? What, what makes her stand out to you? I think it's that uh, adherence to the truth, you mm-hmm. know, and the searching for truth. Um, and I, I think that, that that's really, um, that's important, I think, especially in today's uh, climate, mm-hmm. you know. Um, am I personally searching for the truth, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and do I do that in developing my personal relationship with our Lord? Mm-hmm. Um, I love the stories of her conversion, yeah, right? Absolutely. So she goes into the, the cathedral and, and she sees the woman coming in, you know, and she says she was there in the middle of the day as if she was having an intimate conversation with someone. Mm. And that intimate conversation is with the Lord. And I think she saw that, she read about that in the life of Teresa of Avila. And then little by little by little, uh, she opened herself up to that. And and so I think starting the day, every every day, that that there's a space, there's time and space for our Lord, Mm. uh, that uh, she talks about... um, in in this uh, little little letter, uh, I guess you wouldn't call it a letter. Uh, uh, inward tranquility, past to inward tranquility. She talks about taking a breather in the middle of the day, and then just mm-hmm. remembering that morning time that you had with the Lord, and then at the end of the day, just placing everything in God's in God's um, loving. Uh, loving hands, and so I think. And you you mentioned it earlier that beautiful, uh, beautiful word of integration. Mm-hmm. You know that that our lives are are a whole, right? right? And that they are personal, not just women, but all of us are called to that whole and the personal and the living. And I think it's it's part of our truth, especially right in the 21st century, to to safeguard that safeguard that it's it's sacred and I think again this hurriedness and harriedness I think sometimes we sacrifice that the, right. the personal the whole right. the living um, and I, I think she calls us back to that thanks to sister Judith Parsons for her time and insight into the life and thought of Edith Stein to round out these considerations I'd like to briefly relate an excerpt from Stein's essay Spirituality of the Christian Woman, based on lectures given in January of 1932. She had this to say, We can thus understand why a particular association is constantly being made between woman's nature and the Holy Spirit. Inasmuch as the Holy Spirit is deity, we find it again in woman's destiny as mother of the living. The Spirit goes out of itself and enters into the creature as the begetting and perfecting fruitfulness of God. Just so does woman bring forth new life from her life and helps the child to a most perfect development when he or she attains an autonomous existence. So do we also find the Holy Spirit in all works of womanly love and compassion, inasmuch as it is the Holy Spirit, as Father of the poor, consoler and helper, who heals the wounded, warms the numb, refreshes the thirsty, and bestows all good gifts. The pure image of feminine nature stands before our eyes in the Immaculata, the Virgin. She was the perfect temple in which the Holy Spirit took up his dwelling and deposited as his gift the fullness of grace. 
She wanted nothing else than to be the handmaid of the Lord, the gate through which he could make his entry into humanity. So that's it for today's episode of the Curious Catholic Podcast. There are show notes for today's episode available with related links on CuriousCatholicPodcast.com. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe to the show. If you get a chance, please also take a few short moments to give us a top-shelf rating wherever you get your podcasts. It would certainly help this nascent show get underway. I'd like to close by issuing an apology to Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, even though he's been dead since 1832. I totally ruined a pronunciation of his name in the episode. I even knew I was doing it as the syllables left my lips. So apologies to Goethe, which at least is closer to how you pronounce his name. With that said, I'll look forward to the next time we meet. Until then, let's continue journeying further up and further in. <laughs>